Numbers chapter 14 and verse 1. Numbers chapter 14 and verse 1. And all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried. And the people wept that night. The Israelites were in the wilderness. Newly escaped from Egypt. About to enter into Canaan, the promised land. This should have been a time of wonderful rejoicing. But instead, the people were weeping. This was because of the report of those who had spied out the land in advance to survey its defences. The spies claimed that the Canaanites were too strong for the Israelites to succeed in any attack for they were veritable giants of men and their cities uh, were well fortified surrounded by walls so we read in verse 2 all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron and the whole congregation said unto them would God that we had died in the land of Egypt Would God we had died in this wilderness. So how quickly the people have forgotten the mighty works of God on their behalf in delivering them out of slavery in Egypt. How quickly they have forgotten the parting of the Red Sea and the drowning of Pharaoh's soldiers how quickly they have forgotten that they were slaves in Egypt now they want to return to Egypt verse 3 and wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey were it not better for us to return into Egypt And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. The people were being led through the wilderness by the pillar of fire and of cloud. They were being miraculously fed by the manna sent down from heaven. Yet they want to return to the slavery and the idolatry of Egypt. What perversity there is in the human heart. What opposition to the truth of God. And we also see here how prone people are to abandon trust in God when their circumstances are difficult or when the pressures of the environment around them are too great. And so many today are tempted to abandon the teachings of the Bible because of the pressures of society around them. And so even in churches there is a willingness to compromise with the world because people are frightened of the world around them, just as these Israelites 
were frightened of the inhabitants of Canaan. Verse 5, then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Moses and Aaron are so distressed by the people's lack of faith. Verse 6, and Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. Joshua and Caleb were among the 12 spies who went out to do a reconnaissance of the land. And thankfully, not every single Israelite was so faithless as the majority. But Moses, Aaron, Joshua and Caleb here just cannot believe the ingratitude of the people and the distrust of God amongst the people. Verse 7, they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. This is the message of Joshua and Caleb. If the Lord delight in us, verse 8, then he will bring us into this land. And give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. Now the expression flowing with milk and honey uh, refers to the great fertility of the promised land. Twelve spies, as we have said, had been sent out by Moses to see what the land was like. The Israelites were currently right on the borders of the land. Being in the wilderness of Paran, which was in the northern part of the Sinai Peninsula. So further north lay the fruitful hills and valleys of the promised land. Now it was God's purpose that Israel drive out the existing inhabitants of the land. And make it their own. But the hard-hearted Israelites were spurning God's goodness towards them. The report of the spies was that the land was good. And they brought back hard evidence of that. The great clusters of fruit that they collected. The people, however, were intimidated by the apparent strength of those who occupied Canaan. And so the people's trust in God did not extend to confronting any opposition along their way. When Moses sent the spies out, he said this to them, as we read in the previous chapter, chapter 13, And verse 18. See the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. And what the land is that they dwell in, whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. 
and what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, and whether there be wood therein or not. And be ye of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Then we are also told an interesting detail at the end of verse 20 there in the previous chapter. Now the time was the time of the first ripe grapes. Now, this means that the time of the year when the spies went into the land is exactly the time of year where we are at right now, around mid-June. The spies would spend the next 40 days surveying Canaan, passing over the whole extent of it. And on the way back, they would gather some of the produce of the land as an illustration to the people of how fertile the land actually was. Nearly 40 days from the time that the spies first set out would bring them to the time for the full grape harvest. Now, This is quite remarkable in itself that this, in God's providence, is the best time of the year to learn about and see the evidence of the fruitfulness of the land. So nothing happens by chance in God's providence. So the spies were able to bring back these Wonderful great clusters of grapes as evidence of the land and its fertility. Numbers 13, verse 23. They came unto the brook of Eshcol and cut down from thence a branch with just one cluster of grapes. And they bear it between two upon a staff. And they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. And so, just one cluster of grapes needed two men to carry it on poles. So abundant was the produce. And so we see how fruitful the land is. I mean, we would never think of getting two men to carry one bunch of grapes on a pole today. But this was such an enormous cluster that each grape was perhaps almost the size of a plum. Now, in Numbers 13.23 there, we have uh, a reference to Eshkol. Uh, which was a valley a few miles to the north of Hebron. Here was solid evidence that the land which God had chosen for Israel was indeed a delightful land in which to live. Here was a sign of God's great favour towards the people. Yet in the hardness of their hearts, they could not see it. All they could see was the danger, or the danger that they imagined. 
our nation today is given life and health and food by the maker of all things, as all nations are. But we generally see around us a stubborn refusal to acknowledge the giver of all these good things. We are not living in a land where there is starvation. God provides wonderfully, yet so few acknowledge the giver. During the course of the Second World War, Britain was very dependent upon the importation of food by sea in order to feed the population. Yet if we think, for example, of the year 1942, the prevailing military situation was such that much of the available shipping was needed for the transportation of men and munitions rather than for the transportation of food. Uh, Furthermore, ships able to cross the Atlantic bringing food were the target of enemy attack. And Winston Churchill, one of his greatest fears um, concerning the German enemy was not the military might of the enemy, but it was rather that the nation would simply be starved into submission. So it was vital that Britain grew as much of its own food as possible. Uh, And of course we know that large numbers of women, the land army, went went into the fields to to help the farmers and, and parks were ploughed up to grow more field, grow more food. And the people of God, as all this was happening, were praying earnestly that God would bless the produce of the fields. Now, the harvest in 1942, in fact brought forth one of the most abundant yields on record. So much so that the then Minister of Agriculture, whose name was Hudson, uh, said on the BBC News on October the 10th, much hard work and technical skill have played their part in these mighty deeds. Amongst the richest harvests of all time, But the Minister of Agriculture then went on to say, I believe that we have a higher power to thank as well, and from the depths of our hearts. In this our year of greatest need, the land has given us bread in greater abundance than we have ever known before. The prayer, give us this day, our daily bread, has in these times a very direct meaning for us all. So spoke 
the Minister of Agriculture, a leading politician of the hand of God in the affairs of the nation, keeping the nation fed. As the growing season began again in the following year, 1943, uh, the News Chronicle newspaper reported on the 6th of May, uh, again concerning the Minister of Agriculture, Mr Hudson, he was not ashamed to acknowledge last year the divine power that gave us a record harvest just when we most needed it. Can anyone doubt that that same divine power has been at work again? It has brought us through what might have been a very difficult winter with an unerring hand. For that we can be thankful for having sufficient fuel and sufficient milk, for wheat in the fields that never looked better, for grass in the meadows that has enabled winter feeding stuffs to be conserved, so that the small poultry keeper is now able to get more food for his hens and the housewife to get more milk for the family. So there we see a national newspaper referring to the providence of God in causing the crops to grow in the fields and to meet the nation's need in this way, in blessing the country's agriculture. But if we now fast forward to the situation today, there is almost a universal ignorance concerning the providence of God in determining what grows in the fields or come to that, in determining anything concerning the affairs of the nation. But it is God, the Trinitarian God, who controls the affairs of the nations and whether they prosper or not. Now, in verse 9 here, Joshua and Caleb appeal to the people. Chapter 14, verse 9. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us, their defence is departed from them, and the Lord is with us, fear them not. So Joshua is pleading with the people. He says, the enemy is to us as our bread. Now what was the Israelites' bread? It was manna, which was so hard that it needed to be milled or pounded in a mortar. Yet incredibly, manna also melted when it was exposed to the sun. So on the one hand, manna was hard and enduring, yet without any shadow over it, the sun would actually destroy it. Now notice the word defence in, in this verse 9 here. Their defence is departed from them. 
As our AV margin tells us, the word defence also means shadow, protection. Joshua here informs the people that the Canaanites are just like the manna. They may have a hard exterior, but bring them out of the shadow and expose them to the sun and they will melt away. They are bread for us. Their shadow is removed from them. Their defence is departed from them. So the people need not be afraid of them. The Israelites, however, would not listen to these words of great encouragement. Indeed, they resent what Joshua and Caleb are saying. They deeply resent it. They hate them for saying this. Now, Moses would subsequently tell the people in Deuteronomy 28... We can just take various excerpts from this. Uh, Deuteronomy 28, verse 1. If thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe, to do all his commandments. Verse 3. Blessed shalt thou be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy ground and the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of thy kind and the flocks of thy sheep. Blessed shall be thy basket and thy store. Verse 8, The Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses, and in all that thou settest thine hand unto. So there Moses states that there is a clear connection between the holiness of a nation and the prosperity of its agriculture. If the Lord delights in a people, then an outward sign of that delight will be a flowing of milk and honey within their land. The Israelites then have this prospect of living in a glorious land where the fields are bursting with goodness. Yet despite this wonderful prospect, ten of the twelve spies who have spent 40 days exploring Canaan no longer want to go into the land at all. Even though God has promised it to them, They want instead to turn around and go back to slavery in Egypt. They have observed on their reconnaissance mission that some of the inhabitants of the land are men of great physical stature. This has filled them with fear. They also describe the land in chapter 13 and verse 32 as eating up its inhabitants. Now this may refer to a disease from which many Canaanites were suffering at that time. And so 
they were arguing, well, we don't want to go into this land, they've got disease there. And another possibility to this phrase, eating up its inhabitants, uh, could be a plague of hornets having come upon the land. And if that is the case, that was again, of course, God's providence, because the Canaanites were actually being weakened already before the Israelites were about to enter. However, the faithless spies simply could not see the hand of God's providence. Instead, they think this land is an unhealthy place and they managed to make all the other Israelites think the same way. It's just not worth going there. Although it was God's will that they went there. Now this rebellion against the will of God meant that none of them, except Joshua and Caleb, would ever see the promised land. They would wander and die in the wilderness for 40 years. They could have gone straight in, straight after the time that it took to get from Egypt to Canaan, they could have gone straight in, but they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It would be the next generation that would enter in. And they would indeed find it to be a land flowing with milk and honey. So one of the tokens of God's great love for his people would be his filling their fields with a glorious abundance. The prevalence of a thriving national agriculture, however, would be conditional upon their ongoing obedience to God's commandments. Verse 8 of chapter 14. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us, a land which floweth with milk and honey. So, we are being taught here that this national blessing of living in a wonderful, prosperous, fertile land is conditional, not automatic. If the Lord delight in us, if we are being obedient to him. Now, when the Israelites in subsequent generations descended again into sin and idolatry, they would find their prosperity, which was through agriculture, being shattered. They would find that they were no longer blessed with abundant harvests. And eventually, God would withdraw his protection. They would be taken off into captivity by a foreign invader. Assyria and then later Babylon. Jeremiah warned of this, Jeremiah 5, verse 15. Lo, I will bring a nation upon you from far. Verse 17. And they shall eat up thine harvest and thy bread, which thy sons and thy daughters should eat. 
So in judgment, the Lord brought this foreign nation upon the land to take away the nation's prosperity. In Jeremiah's day, an inability any longer to enjoy the fruits of the land which flowed with milk and honey was clearly the judgment of God. A nation's harvest can, of course, be spoilt, not just by an enemy invader, but by God's direct control of the natural creation. Even before the Babylonians came and ravaged the land, Judah was already experiencing unfavourable weather and disrupted harvests. Because God judges nations and he can judge nations through the produce of their fields. Are we so sophisticated today that we no longer understand that? We must not be. Jeremiah 5, verse 23. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 23. This people hath a revolting and a rebellious heart. Neither say they in their heart, let us now fear the Lord our God, that giveth rain, both the former and the latter in its season. He reserveth unto us the appointed weeks of the harvest. Your iniquities have turned away these things and your sins have withholden good things from you. So there in Jeremiah 5, there is a plain statement in the word of God that poor harvests are a result of national rebellion against God. The Lord berates Judah for forgetting that it is he who determines the produce of the land. It is he who brings the necessary rains before the harvest is brought in. Because of their rebellion against him, the nation was experiencing greatly reduced harvests and much economic hardship. The people did not fear the God who causes the crops to grow and who ordains the affairs of nations. And that same people would eventually be taken off into captivity as slaves. Yet God in mercy also told them that if they were repentant, they would be restored to the land. They would come out of their captivity. And one of the signs of restored blessing would be fertility in the fields. We read of this restored blessing in Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34 verse 26. God says, I will cause the shower to come down in its season." And the tree of the field shall yield her fruit, and the earth shall yield her increase, and they shall be safe in their land. 
and shall know that I am the Lord. And they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land. Verse 29, Ezekiel 34. So after the captivity in Babylon, there will literally be a new planting out of the land. The people will have to build up their agriculture all over again. But God will so bless this new planting that the people will never be short of food. And they will even become renowned amongst the nations for the fertility of their fields. And so we learn that upon both Israel's first entry into the promised land and then again upon her return from captivity in Babylon, agricultural prosperity is declared to be the token of God's good pleasure. Now this is an ongoing principle. And it applies no less to nations today. 21st century man, despite all his technology and alleged evolution, still needs food to eat. God chooses to exalt an obedient people by blessing their fields. But in contemporary secular Britain, does it ever cross anyone's mind that God can be angry with the nation and take away its plenty? If we go back to the Second World War, as we have mentioned, the nation had to cultivate every inch of the land in order to survive. And by God's grace, it happened. But we can't just presume upon ongoing plenty today if we carry on in rebellion against God. The Lord desired to give to Israel in Joshua's day a fertile and a fruitful land in which to live with abundant supplies of food upon their tables. Now, even before Israel went into Canaan, the Lord was using his natural creation to work on Israel's behalf. Because, as we have mentioned, there seemed to be some kind of serious sickness amongst the Canaanites, possibly connected with a plague of hornets. So the enemy was being weakened in the providence of God as the people were about to enter. You see, God uses his creation to bless a faithful people and to bring judgment upon an idolatrous people. So the word of God is teaching us a clear connection between a people's obedience and the prosperity of their agriculture. Now, someone might say, oh, well, agriculture has very little part to play in the British economy nowadays. But we still need to eat, do we not? A nation which honours God 
will experience abundant blessing on its fields. For the Christian, as we look at crops growing in the fields, as as we can do just outside the church here, it's actually a, a wonderful experience because we're actually looking at God desiring to bless the people. But the blessing can be removed. God can cause the crops suddenly to fail or to be blighted. Now these principles of course apply to a nation's general economic situation. Agriculture is always important because people need to eat but God can also judge nations by just causing their economy to collapse more generally. Why should he cause to prosper a nation which defies him? And if you look at modern Britain, there are now appalling levels of national debt. That's not God's blessing. That's the withdrawal of God's blessing. But at this precise moment in time, the Lord is still mercifully blessing us with plenty of food on our tables. What amazing condescension for a rebellious people. We do not deserve it. How then we should be praying that the nation might come to repentance and return in all humility to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because the present abundance could quickly be taken away. If we today desire to live in a land flowing with milk and honey as opposed to a land coming more and more under the judgment of God then the only solution is a great fleeing to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. The only solution is a seeking of God's mercy, both on a national level and on an individual level. The time is short. If the nation wants food on its tables, it must turn back to the one true faith of Jesus Christ and must do so rapidly. Amen.